Now this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 only. And I've divided the text up into three sections. First, we're going to be talking about a vision for growth. Then I'll share a, a pathway for growth. And then we'll talk about the power that we need for growth. So first, we're going to talk about a vision for growth, and I want you to look with me, verses 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles open. Let me read it. Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. All right, it's a ton packed into those first four verses, but just right off the bat, who wrote this letter? Well, title says it all. It's Peter, the same Peter that we've been looking at in 1 Peter, same Peter who was part of the inner circle with Jesus and the disciples. In fact, this is, uh, if you look at chapter 3, he says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is his second. Now, on the one hand, he could have been talking about any other letter to anyone anywhere. But most likely, I think, he is talking about the letter that we have as First Peter, which tells me that Peter is most likely writing to the same people he wrote 1 Peter to, these churches in the region of Asia Minor, that, that area that we now call Turkey, this, this broad uh, area with churches filled with mostly uh, Gentile believers. Now, why a second letter from Peter? We could ask, like, well, why a second letter to the Corinthians or the Thessalonians or Timothy or, or anyone else for that matter? Because this is how they communicated, right? I mean, they, this is a, the early church is just getting started. And I'm sure that the letters that we have preserved for us are just a fraction of the total communication that the apostles had with these early churches. But this letter specifically has been preserved for us for a number of reasons. First, Peter seems to be convinced of his own imminent death. If you look at verses 13 through 15 in chapter 1, Peter says, I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. There's this urgency that comes through as you read this letter. It's like Peter is saying, we don't have enough time. Do you get it? Like, like we don't have enough time. Most likely, Peter is writing from, from Rome in the 60s AD, somewhere around there. Nero is the emperor in Rome at this time, unstable, evil emperor. 
And Peter must have been keenly aware of how precarious his position was as a pastor, a leader in this city at that time. And that urgency comes through in the tone of the letter. He has no time to mince words or to beat around the bush. In fact, I challenge you this week, take 10 minutes. That's all it'll take, maybe 15 if you read slowly. Read through the whole letter in one sitting. That's the way it was meant to be read, right? Read, it, read all of 1 Peter. Read it through a couple of times. But you need to hear the whole thing to catch his intensity. And then in light of what he says here, I want you to ask yourself, why do I generally act as if I have all the time in the world? Why do I not see that life is short and the times are drawing near? Why do I keep putting off to tomorrow the things I know God wants me to do today? Why am I so often content with lackluster spiritual growth and development? What would Peter say to me if he were here today? In fact, what is Peter saying to me as I read this letter? Look at verse 13 again. He wants to stir you up. He wants to stir all of us up. To to, to, to poke and prod us into action. All right. Let this letter do that work in your lives over these next few months. Okay, so... Going back here to verse 1 in the letter, look at this. Peter addresses his audience. He says, You are those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is amazing to me, right? Peter, the apostle Peter, the one who walked and talked and ministered with Jesus Christ himself, says to his readers, You have the same standing before God that I do, that we do as apostles. Remember, Peter is a Jew. He's writing to a mostly Gentile community. And I I don't think we have a a, a grasp on just how uh, radical this would have been, how significant this was. And yet Peter says, you have obtained a faith of equal standing Without. Remember last year, our study in the book of Galatians and how Paul called out Peter for wavering on this very issue, for being hypocritical and acting one way when, when he was around the Gentiles and a different way when he was around the Jews. And Peter's like, I don't have time for this. This is one people united by the blood of Christ. It was such a huge issue. But here it seems like Peter has finally grasped the the depths and the significance of this new unity that we have in Christ. One people, one body, regardless of ethnic background. And that means this extends to you as well. Look, 2 Peter should be a convicting book to read. It should stir you up. That's one of his stated goals. I want to I stir you up so you don't forget. 
it should make you uncomfortable as you read it and you consider the state of your own soul. But all this conviction is not meant to, to, to tear you down, to fill you with guilt and shame and fear. The very first verse of this book is meant to be an encouraging reminder that you share the same spiritual standing in the kingdom of God as Peter himself. Even as an American who can't read Greek or Hebrew, even as someone who lives on the other side of the world 2,000 years later, it doesn't change your fundamental identity as someone called, chosen, adopted, secured in and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And so even as as I want to push you to consider the ways in which you can and should be growing spiritually this year, I also want to join with Peter in affirming your position as beloved children of God. I want to join with Peter in praying for God's grace and God's peace to be multiplied abundantly in your life so that you might experience his presence in new and deeper ways, even as Jesus shapes and molds and knocks off the rough edges and helps you to grow. That's our prayer for you as we embark on this study. So, having talked a little bit about Peter's vision for growth and, and to stimulate growth in your life, now I want to talk a little bit about a, a, about a pathway for growth as we turn to verse 3. Now, uh, I don't know about you guys, we just got through this enormous holiday season, right? For, for Thanksgiving all the way through to Christmas, and we had multiple birthdays in there also. So it's a time of feasting and celebration, right? All these wonderful meals and, and events. Uh, I think God gave us pastry as a way to help us endure winter, all the long, dark months of winter, right? Amen. We have pies and scones and muffins and cinnamon rolls and, and what else am I forgetting here? We uh, Tarts and cakes and cookies and oh, we just had some friends over for dinner last night. Brielle made this ginger carrot cake. It was amazing. It was just, that's all you're going to be thinking about now, the rest of the sermon. As, lo- as if the line at the dessert table wasn't long enough on normal Sundays. Now, but um. But I'm sure you've all experienced this, right? Because you go to make some, you see something amazing that you want to make, like some, some beautiful looking cake on Instagram. You're like, I want to make that. And, and you, you, you make a list and you go to the store and you get all the ingredients and you come home and you open the egg carton that was in the fridge and there's only one egg in there and you thought it was full this whole time. Or you're like, well, we got plenty of milk at home. And then you come home and there's like just like barely, uh, the whole container is in the fridge, but there's like, like a teaspoonful at the bottom, right? It's like, thank you, that's not helpful. Or somehow, although you've stocked up with like eight pounds of butter back in Thanksgiving, now it's all gone. And it's like, where, where did it go? You can be staring at the most beautiful picture you've ever seen, but if you don't have all the right ingredients, you're not going to be able to make it. And I think sometimes this is how we look at our spiritual lives, right? Like, like I need to have the sun coming in 
adjusts the right angle, and this, this beautiful Bible with like a, a handcrafted, you know, leather cover, and I, I'm sitting by the beach, and the coffee is at just the right temperature, and I'm awake enough that I can pay attention to what I'm reading, but I'm not so awake that I get distracted by all the things that I've got to be doing, and, I, I, and I'm not too hungry, and I'm not too thirsty, and I'm in just the right frame of mind, and the kids aren't making too much noise, and, and, and on and on and on. And, and yet, look at this. Second Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. In other words, God has already given you everything that you need in order to do everything he calls you to do. You have it all already. You don't need anything else. I mean, hey, if you can get a time at the beach and the sun is like, great, whatever floats your boat. But you don't need these things. And how often can they become distractions or excuses keeping us from doing what we know God wants us to do already. He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. As followers of Jesus, you have already experienced the new life in Christ. Right When you, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you experience new life. This is amazing. But there's this ongoing component as well. Right? This ongoing experience of a new life empowered by and through the work of the Holy Spirit as He changes you. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been made alive in Christ. Jesus came to bring you life in abundance, like like overflowing amounts of life, joy-filled life, hope-filled life. Now we know We talked about this last week. I know, this side of heaven, we don't always experience it quite that way, right? We live in a broken world where sicknesses interfere with our lives, where we smash into cars on the the ice unexpectedly, where illness seems to prevail. makes us yearn even more for the day when Jesus will return and make everything right again. But at the same time, Jesus, even in the middle of this mess, he infuses your life with new meaning and purpose and significance. Not just one day in the future when he returns and and we we receive resurrection bodies, but, but now your relationships, your work, your experiences, they have meaning and significance now. All of it amounts to something in God's kingdom. Why? Because this is God's creation. You are God's creation. He is at work through all of this. So going back to my baking illustration, all of that stuff I just talked about, that's like the beautiful Instagram photo that you're trying to follow, right? But now I want to know, how do I make the cake? Great. Jesus has given me everything that I need that pertains to life and godliness. How do I then put it all together? Look at the rest of that verse. He says, 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's just kind of a long-winded way of saying Jesus gives us everything we need to live the kind of life God wants us to live. And he does that through the knowledge of him who called us. And when we see that word knowledge, we usually think like, like okay, i got to learn new things. And that, that's part of it, right? Of course, you don't just absorb it somehow. It's like we're learning these facts and truths about God. But Peter is talking about the experiential, the, the, the relational connectedness with God that goes beyond just memorizing certain facts. And this ongoing relational connectedness is what ties us to God and, and helps us then to live for him. So how do we cultivate that kind of relational connectedness that he's talking about? What's well, all the normal stuff that we talk about all the time, right? It, it's Bible reading and prayer and corporate worship and communion and, and, and fellowship with other believers and confession of sin and repentance and learning to love others and forgive others and fasting and giving and serving and all these other things. And this isn't new. But that's the point. He's like, look, I've given you all the things that you need to connect with me and to grow in godliness. You don't need anything new. It's just one small example, right? We've been talking a lot about Bible reading, and one of the, the purposes of that is to shape and form our view of God and, and of ourselves and of other people and the world around us. I mean, sure, you learn all about the kings of Israel and, and, and about the Exodus and about you read parables and all these other things, and that's great, but, but the point of that is to learn how to see and relate to God and, and to learn how to see and relate to other people. And it's in that context that you begin to see how God has truly brought you abundant life, even in the middle of what otherwise might seem to be a very mundane life. These spiritual practices are designed by God to help shift your perspective, to help move you out of the center of the picture and put God in the center. So we learn to see everything through that lens. This is why you need a plan to grow spiritually this year. That's why I, I know I brought this up last week and I'm bringing it up again because the week's gone by in a flash, and we all live crazy busy lives. And it's so important. God is the one who called you. That's what Peter says. God is the one who's given you everything you need. That's what Peter says right here. All the pieces are there. You're not missing anything. But it takes planning, and it takes effort to get there. So what's your plan this year? Well, last section here, we, we talked about Peter's vision for growth and Peter's pathway for growth. And now we want to talk about the power for growth. If you look again at, at verses 3 and 4, it's really one long sentence. It stretches down. 
Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I know I've shared this in here before, but uh, Kari's aunt and uncle follow this uh, Hindu sect, religious sect. Uh, it's a sort of new agey feeling type religion, and, and they believe that, that, that we all have like this divine spirit within us, and through this constant cycle of hard work and rebirth, we can eventually work our way up into the divinity to becoming gods, like little g gods. Makes conversations with them challenging at times. But this is what they believe. So given that context, it's kind of jarring to see Peter talking about us partaking in the divine nature and talking about God's divine power. These are Words that are a little unusual for the New Testament. It's not the way Paul usually talks about it. Peter's accessing uh, a, a more Greek types of language for his Gentile audience here. So what's going on? Well, first, unlike uh, my aunt and uncle, he doesn't say that you're becoming God, or even becoming like God, Peter says you're uh, partakers or participants in the divine nature. It's not something you, you, you possess or, or, or work your way towards. It's something we share in, according to Peter, or more accurately, something God shares with us. Moreover, we, we only really experience this divine power and participate in this divine nature through God's work in our lives, according to Peter. Look at the text here again. He says, we become partakers of this divine nature through the precious and very great promises of God. Now, Peter doesn't explain what all those promises are. No doubt he's referencing all of the promises of God from the Old Testament, uh, but the point is that all of this is a work of God. Our lives are not meant to be some kind of spiritual treadmill where you're constantly clawing and fighting your way up the spiritual food chain until you one day become God yourself. That's absolutely not what he's talking about here. Instead, Peter's progression of thought is that God is one who calls us by his own great glory and excellence. That's verse 3. And that, that calling is not like an advertisement, like, hey, consider what I got on offer over here and let me know what you think. God's calling, when Peter talks about God's calling, he's talking about God's effective call, his irrevocable call. It's, it's like a summons or like in the old Star Wars movies, like a tractor beam. I mean, when you get locked in, he's drawing you to himself. So God calls us, and then God is one who gives us everything that we need to live a life that's pleasing to him. 
But then Peter adds that it's because of God's glory and excellence that he makes all these promises to us, which then enable us to share in some aspect of his divine nature. To make a very convoluted sentence simple, it's all about God. That's what Peter's trying to say here. This is not your spiritual efforts leading to your divine status. He's saying this is God's work in your life to enable you to share in some way with his divine nature. God's call. It's God's gifts. It's God's glory and excellence. It's God's promises. God's nature. In other words, the the power that we're looking for to grow spiritually, it all comes from God. So yes, we we read and we pray and and we do these spiritual practices, which I was talking about. We utilize all the means of grace that, that we share here on a regular basis. But the power for this new way of living comes from God. He's the engine that drives it all. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we'll be left spinning our wheels. I have a great vision for where we want to go, but no ability to get there. But with God's power at work within us, we can begin to make genuine, real, tangible spiritual progress in our lives. Change then becomes possible, not because we have it in ourselves, but because he shares it with us. As Peter says at the end of verse 4, this is then how we can begin to escape the corruption of sin at work in the world and in our lives by drawing ever nearer to God through our, our, our growing relational sense of his presence with us and through the power of the Holy Spirit energizing all of our work for God's glory. We're going to look at that, uh, what that then looks like in our lives in the next verses, which we'll be getting into next week. But for right now, I I want to bring all this to a close with this. Uh, As we work our way through 2 Peter, I want you to expect to be challenged. Expect to be convicted. Peter's goal is to to, to shake you up, to poke and to prod and and to stimulate you into action. Not so that you can feel like, hey, I'm working my way into God's good graces or I'm somehow earning uh, my salvation. Not not to to lay an extra heavy-duty burden of things on you to do, like, oh, great, here's even more stuff i got to do that I'm failing at. But Peter does this so that you might experience the joy, the peace, the life that comes from growing in Christ, of walking in truth, of being a partaker in the nature of God himself. And I want you to never lose sight throughout all of this, never lose sight of Peter's prayer in verse 2, the grace and peace would be multiplied to you in abundance, both through the days of, of obedience, 
and success, and also through the days of disobedience and failure and frustration. Through it all, God's grace, God's peace multiplied to you as you walk down this path with him. And may God's glorious, excellent, and divine power sustain you through it all. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for the gift that Peter brings to us of his challenging words, his his passionate plea for for us to, to grow, to not forget all that you've done in our lives. His, his earnest passion to see us live out our faith. And Lord, we confess that we struggle. The vision sounds good. Our heart's desire is there. The action is, is not always follows. So Lord, we pray for strength. We pray that you would sustain us and help us to live for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.